0: Hey there, listeners, fans, people who like to tune in, I appreciate you. It's me, Greg, here with some news before we get into this next episode of Random Encounter. So starting it off, I have Crowdfunding Chronicles. Tina Ola has taken a look at uh, what is described as an irresponsible schoolgirl simulator. Detained Too Good for School is uh, the latest that she's been looking at in the crowdfunding world. It's a uh, action RPG it's got beat-em-up kind of combat, some uh, simulation stuff, and it looks a lot like Vanillaware games, so I am intrigued. So check out what you have to say about this one, it comes to an end on August 5th, so get your money in there and get those perks! And that's it for features, but I do have a pile of reviews for you, starting with a rare one from Scott Clay, uh, who doesn't always do a lot of reviews for us. We have Fantasy Star Online 2 New Genesis, he had a lot of hopes for this cool MMO that uh, unfortunately didn't quite come to fruition. It's pretty neat looking, but it falls real flat in the story. So uh, go have a look at the review, see the foibles that Scott found. Maybe if you're a big fan of Fantasy Star, that'll be enough to get you through it. I don't know. Check out the review for yourself. Next up is one of those titles that you just can't say without a cool voice. Tainted Grail Conquest. <laughs> I can't get low and gravelly enough, but whatever. Brian McKenzie reviewed this one for us, and it's it's a neat, gritty looking Western RPG. Falls pretty average apparently lacks a bit of polish and uh, could use a little more work but otherwise offers some pretty satisfying strategic gameplay and is well presented in a lot of other ways so if you're looking for a gritty western rpg then look no further than this one bob richardson keeps finding quirky little adventure games to play and uh, mundown did not uh, disappoint it's really uh, got this unique eerie vibe to it and if you're looking for some good horror storytelling this might be a way to go about finding it, despite some of its control issues. Check out his review and see if you want to dive in. Steins Gate Zero got ported over to the Nintendo Switch, and it holds up really well, according to Quentin O'Connor. If you are looking for yet more to add to your dark, gritty uh, visual novel... Collection. Steins Gate's pretty great. We've had a lot of people speak highly of it, like Leona and Andrew Barker, and its uh, soundtrack is pretty awesome, according to Patrick. So, all around, this is a welcome addition to the Switch library, and if you're interested, this might be the place to play it. Neo, The World Ends With You has come on up, and it um, it didn't quite land for Bob Richardson the way he was hoping after Twiwi. And, uh, yeah, it's just just kind of a lackluster story i mean it's still a lot of fun and r- with a really neat take on a world but it just you know the story's not there at least for bob some other people i uh, have also spoken really highly of it so i mean check out the review maybe it's going to be one that works for you the great ace attorney chronicles we touch on them a little bit this episode with jano uh he was diligently working away on them and uh having these both on the switch now is just awesome since you know this is one of the few in the series that fans have yet to get he got an rpg fan editor's choice he loved the heck out of them and if you are a fan of the east attorney series this is clearly one to jump in on so go check out his review to find the details out you might remember when we had Abe on to talk about Chernobylite when he was previewing it. Now it is out and it still lives up to uh, the heights that he was holding it to. It, it's a great gritty mystery aside from uh, some you know, repetitive sequences and a little bit of uh, lack of response in some of the controls. Overall it holds up to be a really great game and if you're looking for something with a lot of atmosphere and a good creepy vibe then go check out Chernobylite. And we have been waiting for them since the announcement around E3 times the Final Fantasy Pixel Remasters. Brian McKenzie tackled Final Fantasy and it looks and feels stunning, you know, lousy font aside and the classic issues with Final Fantasy's lack of story aside. This is a great way to revisit it even if it doesn't have all the added content. Audrey Brolling had a fantastic review of the Pixel Remaster of Final Fantasy II. And again, it presents well, it's still a weird story and a weird take on the game, and it does include all that original, you know, beat on your characters to give them more HP, but all that being said, it's a great way to play this game, so go check out both reviews and see if you want to get into this collection. And there we go, that is it, we had a pile of stuff to tell you about, but now it's time to talk on this episode of Random Encounter. Hey, everybody. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Random Encounter. I am Greg Delmage, and I'm going to turn it over to my co-host, John O'Logan, to fully introduce the show, because we got to take the training wheels off, John O'. Surprise. Ah! ah,
1: ah. <laughs> oh, great. Thanks, Greg. It just drove into a dumpster. Won't be the last time. Is <laughs> <laughs> this how you taught Gwen how to ride a bike? Uh, no, actually,
0: I did not teach Gwen how to ride the bike that way. Although, yes, the training wheels did come off. It was... A long and arduous process. (laughs) Uh, I do recommend it, but I also really don't recommend
1: it. (laughs) What, hosting a podcast? Uh, No, that
0: and uh, giving your
1: child the bike to learn on. Okay. Well, uh, in that case, uh, yeah. So, hey, everyone. Welcome to RPG. uh... The teleprompter is stuck. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> why don't you and why don't you go it, and I will uh, I will write a script for the next time I host. You think this thing is scripted, John? Never script this. This is
0: why I get in trouble half the time because I forget things. So don't script them. Um, I am going to introduce the podcast. It's number two twenty, folks. Uh, Jono will be taking over the future, which is why I sprung this on him. Not taking over, over, but just like for a little bit. So I'm gonna I'm
1: going vacation. Craig is taking a well deserved vacation.
0: Yeah, and I'm gonna get out, which we'll get into in a moment, but let's introduce everybody so yes john thank you for joining and bearing with me as you do always uh, and then we also have zach wilkerson from the features department and everything else hi there thanks for making some cool features lately you've been banging them out lately your, your, your team's on fire thanks i like them everyone's got some really good stuff to say and getting more of those game primers is pretty cool too and uh yes i'm hoping to get those maybe digitized at some point in some fashion. That'd be pretty neat as well. Yeah, I agree. Uh, And then we also have a newcomer to uh, apparently like all podcasts ever, but uh, uh, we got him first somehow. Corey Tischbein, thank you for coming on. Hey there, thanks for having me. It is a pleasure, Corey. Thank you uh, for joining the podcast and uh, lending us your thoughts and voice and then silence uh perfectly timed right you
2: scared him away
0: god <laughs> and that was the last time Corey was ever on a random encounter
2: i think it. i got a little aggressive there with the mute function uh, i'm happy happy to be here uh and thanks for having me excellent i'm glad uh so
0: folks we are uh yeah we're at number 220 uh i guess Two more episodes are going to be our Make-A-Wish episode, I guess. Anyways, uh, we got games to talk about. Some cool new stuff's taken, uh, taken place with us since the last couple of weeks while we were on hiatus. And um, we had uh, Eva Pedia's lovely interviews that I hope you all enjoyed. But yeah, what's everyone been up to, though? Since you know, I haven't talked to anybody in a while, I, mean, I look forward to usually semi-weekly chats with. John, on this time was just like get the thing out we gotta do the thing and that was really about it I was at the cottage for a couple of days yeah how was that you had a you made a a
1: nutty friend and a, a floofer friend oh my god I I forgot to, yeah I've never actually okay I'll, I'll make this story really really short uh Amanda and I were driving back from uh town from getting groceries and just outside of the big huge long driveway to the cottage there was a dog uh and the dog it was a big dog, big old fat dog and uh, was super friendly and just like walked in front of the, we were driving really slow and it just like walked in front of the car. So we had to stop and Amanda got out and checked out the dog and the dog was kind of, it was really, really muddy and dirty and it was covered in bugs. And it looked like it was having a really, really rough time. Like it had been in the woods for a couple of days. So Amanda like walked the dog all the way to the cottage and I came along and I'm really allergic to dogs. So we put the dog out on the, out on the, uh, porch um because there's a covered porch at the at this at amanda's cottage and we gave the dog some water which he greedily just like made a giant mess of but like drank all of and we gave him more and more and more and like not a bark not a just the the sweetest dog you could possibly imagine just this big old dumb kind of smelly dog yeah so i i went into town to pick up some dog food and Amanda uh, went around the lake uh, asking people, "Hey, is this your dog? Do you know whose dog this is?" And the dog just like took her for this massive walk all the way around the lake, uh, just dragging her everywhere. Obviously, having absolutely no idea where home was. Uh, and I spent the entire day on Facebook posting like tons of uh, messages on the various local boards, and I was calling like I called the community center and I called the I called the post office and I called anyone saying, Hey, anyone who would ever put up a sign saying lost dog, uh, I covered them all and we got nothing. And it was the plan originally was, it was going to be a beautiful night. And, uh, so I, I, I mentally named the name, uh, named the dog Marshall for some reason. And Marshall was going to be spending the night out on the porch. And then the next day we were going to take him to the vet to see if he was chipped. And anyway, we had a lightning and thunderstorm that night. And, uh, Marshall was terrified of the lightning and thunder obviously and the rain was starting Good to blow it's loud yeah, yeah. Uh, it was starting to blow into the deck and marshall was essentially crying uh like whimpering so both of our hearts broke and the decision was made that amanda would spend the night in the spare room with marshall in case marshall needed to go to the bathroom <laughs> or something and i would spend the night in away from the dog so we took marshall into the cottage and put Marshall in the spare room, and Marshall was again ridiculously well behaved. Like, this is obviously not a stray, this is obviously a very well trained dog. Like, the dog, you know, didn't even go to the bathroom on the porch, like, went into the woods to use the bathroom. And Amanda got literally no sleep because Marshall, A, snored, B, stank, and C, would be very happy to be in the nice warm house. And the tail would wag and would slam against the very thin walls of the cottage, which would make a thumping sound, which would wake me up. But you know what? It was nice. The next day, I got a message on Facebook saying, I think I know who owns this dog. Uh, They they live in this abandoned property just down the road from where we live. So I took the car and I drove down there. Sounds like a ghost story waiting to happen. 30 years ago. And then you look around at Marshall's car. It was, it was like an abandoned, well, a little bit. It was a, uh, it was in a trailer and there was a, um, you know, the guy, the guy came out and I looked inside and there was a dog barking at me He looked exactly like Marshall. And uh, the guy came out and he was like, Hey, and I was like, Hey, did you lose a dog? And the guy looked terrified. Like I was, like, I was about to tell him I ran over the dog or something. I said, no, 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 I, I have a dog. You, can you confirm what the dog looks like? And he like pointed to the other dog and was like, like that one. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, that's blizzard. He got out yesterday. And I was like, Oh, thank God. Okay. Yes, we have, we have blizzard, which I think Marshall is a better name, but that's just me. So we, I, I, I went back to the place and we took Marshall and we uh, we walked Marshall to the uh, to this uh, trailer. And uh, just when we got to the trailer, Marshall heard something in the woods and like took off into the woods, like pulling the leash out of Amanda's hand. And we discovered that Marshall was a hunting dog. So Uh, heard something in the woods that would theoretically be hunted. So Amanda like runs into the woods after Marshall and I'm just there laughing like crazy because like we got to the finish line and then the dog takes off, but we got Marshall back and we delivered him and all was fine. And we got back and we were like, that was nice. We had a dog for 24 hours. We don't want a dog, but the postscript is I get home. We get home from the cottage and I sit down at my computer and open Facebook for like the first time in a couple of days. And the very first thing to pop up is a message from one of the groups that I joined in the area, and it's a picture of Marshall and his friend with a heading saying, "Hey, I found these two lost dogs in the woods. Does anyone know who they are?" So apparently, Marshall got really excited for his adventure and took his friend with him. Um, but that's as far as I know. So yeah, I had a dog, and then you had a chipmunk trying to uh, get into the cottage constantly for your nuts. We had a lot of chipmunks. There were not the metaphorical ones. Uh, yeah, no, there were a lot of chipmunks uh, at the cottage, and Amanda like kind of. It, they, I think they live in a very peaceful society until Amanda shows up with peanuts and then they just fight nonstop over the peanuts. It turns into uh, Mad Max. It, it's it's nice. They're really, really <laughs> cute. And Amanda trains them and like pets their bellies and things like that. They're wild animals. But in return for peanuts, they will like hop into your hand and be super tame as long as you keep giving them peanuts. So that was my trip to the cottage. Basically, it was taking care of squirrels and we found a stray dog. And I still think Marshall is a great name for a dog, especially a big, dumb Dumb old fat dog. Seems fitting. Yeah.
0: Uh, Zach or Corey? Do you have anything as exciting as the adventures of Jono and Marshall? Nope.
2: <laughs> I don't have anything that exciting, but I've got two dogs here who weren't so happy to hear Jono describe this dog as the sweetest dog ever. But they've they've sent <laughs> shots <him down>. fired. <laughs> they they may or may not actually be asleep right now.
1: <laughs> well, to be fair, that does put them one step above Marshall. The secret is is that they're all. Best boys and girls. Yes, I have heard that uh, all dogs are the best dog.
0: Not not untrue. Uh, and Zach, how's it been for you outside of pumping out uh, features with the team?
3: Uh, it's been good. I mean, I'm, I'm on summer break, um, so I oh, yes, right. Went to Boston recently to visit some friends who might work at the site.
0: Lovely. Uh,
3: and uh, I, I don't know. I, I've been playing a lot of Final Fantasy 14 which is what I do. And uh, otherwise. Um, Play a lot of crease tales recently. We
0: don't talk about Final Fantasy XIV around here because then <laughs> John and I want to spend too much money. <laughs> Just stop it.
1: I mean, stop it there. And then Caitlyn mysteriously appears, like we just rubbed a lamp. And
3: Corey's (laughs) like, "What's this Final Fantasy 14?" Oh, oh, I know Corey knows what Final Fantasy 14 is. (laughs) I'm
1: sure. I I
2: need to not know what Final Fantasy 14 is.
3: (laughs) I I I saw Corey tweeted about it this morning. I was like, ah, like I almost said, like, please join us, please. Like, no, I I don't want to be a pusher.
2: (laughs) I don't need much pushing on
0: this topic. (laughs) That's yeah. That's basically the way we both feel too. It's I just. Then look over at my family, I'm like, right, I don't have time for this. Yeah. That's... One of these days I'll retire and then I'll go back for Final Fantasy, I don't know, 18 at that point. Sure. Uh, but yeah, aside from our lives, we have played games and, uh, you know, let's kick it off with you, because you did just mention it. Crease Tales was something we were, uh, we've heard about this game for a long time. Mm-hmm. A
1: hotly anticipated title.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just been sitting around with, uh, in, in development with Dreams Incorporated sick. They had the demo out. They took some really good feedback and I think kind of pivoted and adjusted and, Mm-hmm. did their best to tweak things and now we got it and you reviewed it and on the the switch, which I hear wasn't the most optimal thing, but uh, yeah, how was that experience?
3: Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I really enjoyed Grease Tales. Um, yeah. Because like um, I was at E3 in 2019 and uh, Hillary and Steph went to an appointment for it and they walked out of it and they were just like buzzing <laughs> with uh, how great it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and Steph and I had seen like an indie game, like the day before hero land, which turned out to be really bad, um, but, but we were excited oh, yeah, about it at right. the time. Um, so just how abuzz she was about it um, got me excited for it, like, from that moment. Yeah, they are both people of taste. Indeed. <laughs> um, yeah, and so and it's been in development for a while. The demo came out, like, right around E3, actually. And there were some issues with it uh, in terms of, like, uh, loading properly and things like that. Uh, most of them got smoothed out here. So I guess to kind of back it up for a second and talk about what the game is. No, that's fair. So Chris Tales, um and they – and I said this in my review, like, they – um, are inspired so much by classic JRPGs. It is. It's a turn-based game. Um, it is in very much in the style, in the way that it's built, of um, older games. But to kind of say like what it's about, basically, um, the main character um, is like a girl in a town, as you know, like you know, kind of the standard JRPG opening. Um, and she finds out she's a time mage, um, and that she has to like try to prevent. Some like great catastrophe from from like you know befalling her town and in the world, which is pretty and, great
0: because we don't often get uh, time mages as the the heroes, right? Yeah, always either like uh-huh. some all powerful elemental wizard or warrior,
3: and they end up using it in really clever ways. So like the way that her time magic works is that like she can see like the past and the present and the future at all times. And the way that they split it on the screen is really clever. Um, Like as you're exploring towns, it looks basically like a prism almost um, where like the, the presence in the middle and like, you can see like where things are going in the future and also where they've been in the past. And you can never really change too many things in the past.
0: Really need how seamless that is. Yeah, and, and
3: like the way that they allow the visual information, like for you to process it, um, by keeping it so consistent. Like it, it, it feels like it should be information overload, um, but it, it, it just feels great. Like the, that design choice is phenomenal, um, and it makes um, sort of like side quests really uh, compelling because like say like i don't know like you help someone become like a musician because it's their dream so like you give them some money so that they can like live their dream like you can literally see on screen in the future like that person realizing their dream um and that is probably my favorite part of the game um but you know the thing that i think everybody talks about with that game is the art style and it is the way I described it in my review was like it's like a it's like a really beautiful, colorful mural like come to life. Yeah, like you stained glass. I think you said I could not believe um, like the difference between the cutscenes and the in-game is barely noticeable in terms of like just like the quality of the art. It never dips in terms of quality. Like each town is distinct. It is beautiful. It's not just pretty to look at; like it is so well put together. And the fact that they had to design these areas three different
1: times—it uh, was ama- it's amazing.
0: Yeah, like they they have their personalities, and that's clear, which is super cool.
1: I get a real uh, Cartoon Network, circa early two thousands vibe from the art style.
3: Oh yeah, they actually said in the interview that we did with them um, that Samurai Jack was one of the biggest um, influences in terms of the art style. So it's definitely got that kind of vibe to it. Um, yeah. And so and the combat's turn based, but like um, and, and the combat is maybe the thing that I uh, the story, I think, ultimately is like kind of weak and it ends up like doing some like weird time travel shenanigans to like make you repeat things over and over again. Um, and I don't think that really works very well. So the story is like just kind of ho-hum. Um, but the combat is really cool in its idea, but I don't think it's great in its execution. So like in combat, like you can manipulate the past in the, in the present, um, like moving enemies like into the future and like their stats will change. Um, and things like that or like um you could like put a poison effect on them and then move them into the future and then like it does all the poison damage at once um so instead of it being like a dot it like it's like big damage at once
0: that's cool does it cost like magic to do that like, is there a, a cap on that so you can't just abuse
3: it it does um but you know and I, I actually don't think i mentioned this in my review early on that's true um but eventually like you get like i don't know like your most powerful spell might cost like 15 magic points and like I think I had like 900 magic points in my magic pool um, by the end of the game so like eventually you're just like you're just like firing off spells constantly um but like there really aren't as many cool different ways to manipulate that time stuff as I was hoping um there's like a time button press element uh which if you screw up on some fights like you will just die um but it's kind of frustrating because the animations are really long
0: yeah I noticed that in the demo it was really awkward to time out because you weren't quite sure when they were going to hit
3: yeah and like i feel like like in super mario rpg or other games like that like it's like a flash like there's something that really tells you
0: yeah like they have a a bit of a a cue that's a bit better as opposed to like somewhere in here i'm supposed to hit it maybe which is i guess the downside of better graphical fidelity more frames more to play with and more flash
3: and i i totally kind of was thinking that as i was playing and i was like you know i understand like the animations are so smooth and so beautiful like for them to like introduce something else into it i think may have Taken away from the way the game looked, um, but yeah. And, and the other thing uh, that I think is really important to mention about it is like the, most of the developers have Colombian heritage, and it is so influenced by like their love of Colombia. And I, I I linked something to like uh, Colombian architecture in my review. Um, like they're like I didn't know like there are these beautiful beautiful areas in Colombia that they're pulling from. Um, and that's one of the reasons I think the art style works so well because it's like it's not only like so beautiful to look at, but like it's so particular. Um, because it is pulling from these places that they love. And I, and I think that makes it remarkable uh, on that front. Is
0: the studio based out of Columbia? I can't remember. I haven't looked
3: it No, up. it's not. Um, it's just okay. people who... Um, just a lot of the development team. Yeah. Like almost Almost everybody who was at the head of the development team um, either was from Colombia or like their parents were from Colombia. I think. Well, that's cool. I could be wrong on that. But I, I know at least that like some of them are were from Colombia because I've seen some interviews. Um but yeah, I it ultimately I think the game ran too long. It's like 30, 35 hours, which for a game like that is like impressive. Um but I think that they like, I don't know, as they were like the development took longer than they thought and they got came up with like this other cool idea I'm like, well let's find a way to like put this in the game too. And I'm like, okay, well, like the game worked really well for the first 20 hours and then the last 10 dragged on a little bit and like time travel and like you know Final Fantasy 8 the end like it's not the real boss um so but you know that that's also like to me like that's kind of cool because like you can see how much they love JRPGs that it's like maybe pulled some things that I don't love about JRPGs into the game sometimes um but overall um it, it's more than the sum of its parts um just because like there's so much love on the screen And the soundtrack is absolutely fantastic. This got released on SoundCloud and like Spotify today. Everybody should go listen to it. It is beautiful.
0: I liked what I grabbed. It was hard trying to find samples to to listen to.
3: That just happened this morning. So that was probably why it was hard to find samples. Yeah, I think
0: (laughs) I only was finding it. You could buy it on like Steam and on GOG as part of like Mm -hmm. the bundles or on their own. But otherwise, yeah, no streaming services or online stores were stocking it just yet. So yeah,
3: that's Chris Tales. I I really enjoyed it. It's beautiful to look at. I would recommend it to people who like turn-based RPGs this the switch the load times were outrageous but I've heard that like on the Xbox series s it's not much better so it's just
0: poorly optimized trying yeah to I think load. so I wonder yeah I wonder if that's like how it's constructed if it's if it's three if, if like in each map if it's the world built three times and then layered on top of each other so it's trying to like render all three at the same time and then basically that uh, prism acts as a cutaway. Then mm. I can see that being really demanding. Yeah, I, but I don't know technology in that regard either. So I'm talking to my butt, but just it sounds demanding. I
3: imagine if you were playing with an SSD, it would be better. I I, I haven't. I, I guess I should have, but I, I'm curious, like to see like people who played on the PS5, um, like what the load times were like there. But like anybody you read who um, wrote a review for the Switch was like, there are some people who are way harsher on the load times than I was. Like I, I got used to it eventually. Like I've played Switched in five. <laughs> um, it's like I know it. I, I play PlayStation games. know. But they were actually maybe just as bad if not worse than any game i've ever played really um for what it is you know what i mean like it's not like it's loading like this massive cutscene. it's like just loading the game um and every time you go into a random battle it was rough
1: and it's a good looking game but it's not what i would call a a real challenge for current gen consoles to run i would imagine Yeah, even like bravely default 2 would arguably be
0: more demanding and even it had egregious load times for
1: the scope of that game well don't worry i hear that they're going to be releasing a switch pro any day now so that'll <laughs>
0: fix the problem
3: uh, I, yeah i can't believe they didn't upgrade the processor i mean i understand probably why but man
0: yeah at this point I
3: so like many games out. i feel like lately are struggling with it like if you ever saw like smt3 on the switch like I, i've watched load times for that and it's terrible but i'm playing <laughs> smt3 on ps5 right now and it no load time so yeah
1: i don't know um it's a good game I enjoyed it. I really I really enjoyed playing it. It's interesting. The graphic style, I mean, ignoring the fact that the graphic style is gorgeous, but it reminds me a little bit of uh, have you played Dishonored 2? No. Dishonored 2 has this uh, great, great level in it where you're in a uh, you're in a, a, a mansion, an abandoned mansion, and it's the elements have taken it over completely. And uh, you have this item that allows you to uh, see what the mansion looked like in the past. And you can switch between the two time periods. But you're like walking around with this It's basically a spyglass in front of you. And what you see in the spyglass is like live what's going on in the past as you look. it's really cool. it's a it's a super super fun mission i think it's the best thing in that game and uh this reminds me a little bit of it where you actually you get to see the changes you make in real time you get to see the past and see the it, it, that's a it's a unique look that puts a nice very neat. that puts a nice spin on the uh the traditional chrono trigger style of changing the past and to mm-hmm. alter the future mm-hmm.
3: absolutely um, cuz i don't you don't have to hop into your time travel vehicle to see the changes this time um and there's just like so immediate
0: hop your frog through
3: <laughs> exactly um it's it's very satisfying um yeah the, that, that that's my favorite part of the game like that was like, so cleverly
0: done now the story you're saying is kind of rote so like yeah nothing you really found like really was poignant or touched you or like it could be something i guess that hopefully they'll grow on and maybe we'll see like this could benefit from another entry and further exploration
3: i mean i just think that the writing in general was pretty flat um the, the characters were all very one note um, like there wasn't anybody who I thought was like anything except like a kind of bad cliche version of some RPG stereotype um, like it wasn't like a, it wasn't horrible like I just like didn't really care about the characters um,
0: it wasn't uh, I am Setsuna or Lost, <laughs> Sphere, uh, Lost Sphere is that what the other one was?
1: Yes. Uh, yeah I, I haven't played those two but. Just a bit um, too
0: reductive for their own good.
1: I, I'm an apologist for I am Setsuna but we'll get we might get into that <laughs> later
0: I really want to play both of them still regardless but yeah I think that I heard that that was kind of one of the biggest failings was again trying to emulate and just being too basic too simple and not innovating enough
3: and i i think that the game has a lot of innovation okay um so I, I i wouldn't necessarily level that criticism I'm like if i'm comparing it like i played maybe like i don't know eight hours of i am Setsuna, and like it i was like okay i got what this is doing and i i've had enough um this game definitely has its inspiration like it it, it pulls from it from a, like a different perspective i think like so i might think that they pull too many different influences in and do too many things but like they weren't doing it as like a cash grab or like a i we're gonna make the next chrono trigger like they were like we love these things and we're gonna put them in here
0: it just wasn't exclusively do yeah reiterate it and and capitalize on nostalgia yeah it, it felt like its own thing um
3: but yeah i mean like the, the it, it I just think that like the writing didn't match the Like if I really cared about the characters, I think it could have been like an upper echelon RPG. Um, but they just, they never really got there, which is okay. Um, I I'm really excited to see what they do next. Cause I think this is probably going to be successful enough to <laughs> allow them to make more games, which is good.
1: I hope it is. It's getting fairly, I mean, you gave it an 85, which is a really solid score mm-hmm. and it, a lot of people are really enjoying it. It seems, mm-hmm. um, It sounds You mentioned in the review how you feel that the uh, side quests are the most successful thing in the game Mm -hmm. in terms of the actual, the satisfaction of seeing your actions make an actual impact on the past and the future, or I guess just on the future, but you know what I mean. What would you say, just out of curiosity, how do you think that they could better incorporate the satisfaction you feel from the side quests into the actual game itself? It's a good question, Um, and I
3: didn't want to get and I don't want to get too spoilery here Um, because you also will see impacts of like general game choices. And one of the things is with the side quests, like if you don't complete all the side quests in a town and you get locked out of them, like it's very linear in the first um, 15, 20 hours. um, Like you'll eventually get locked out. Like it'll say like, it'll even say like, Hey, you're going to go basically fight the final boss of this area. Mm. And if you haven't completed the side quests and like you can't, but like more side quests you complete, the more choices you have about like, you're going to make some choice at the end about like what is going to happen in that, in, in that town, like who's going to run the town, for example. Um, but your choices are limited if you haven't completed all the side quests. And so that will make a difference in terms of the way that like the whole town looks sometimes too. Um, and I thought that worked too. Um, I thought that was good. Um It was just like the overarching narrative. I thought um, I, I, I I don't really know what they could have done with the overarching narrative, um, except for just like stop (laughs) Um, 10 hours before they did. And it would have been fine because like in the last 10 hours, like there are no side quests. Like you're literally just like going back to old towns and like running through dungeons again Hmm. and like fighting, you know, some bosses that you've already fought before. Um, So I I honestly, I, I think that like if they had made the writing better um, for the main characters, that would have improved it.
1: Um, I mean, if there's one word you don't want to hear, uh, in relation to a time travel game, is linear. I actually didn't mind the linearity of it early on, um, because
3: like it, it almost felt like it had to be like that in order to make it function. It becomes very non-linear in the last ten hours, and I actually think that's like the weaker part. So I, I didn't have a problem with linearity. I really didn't. I thought it actually worked.
1: That's a shame because I mean, in Chrono Trigger, I feel that the strongest part of the game might actually be the nonlinear linear uh, end game, where you're traveling around the world fixing oh, problems and things yeah. like that.
0: And for someone like this, where she can see into all times at all time, you would think it wouldn't be linear because she's literally breaking the linear
1: fact of time. Yeah. It's a shame that they didn't save some side quests for that last 10 hours when you're roaming around again and... Mm -hmm. uh, And or cut it. And or cut it. Yeah. (laughs)
3: Yeah. Um, I mean, like, you get, like, to, like, ride a dragon in the last 10 hours. Like, that's cool. It is. Like, again, like, I was, like you guys decided that you wanted to have flying mechanics and you couldn't make a way to make that work earlier in the game. Hmm. So then you just made it longer so you could do it. I mean, like, again, like I, I feel like I'm being more harsh than I really I feel about it. I, I liked it a lot. But you gave it an 85. So you obviously very yeah. much enjoyed the game. I did.
0: I did. Yeah. Although I'm expecting angry emails. about i like, Sounds like uh, it should have been a 75 there, Zach. <laughs> that's um,
3: why I hate review scores <laughs> so much.
0: <laughs> it looks really cool. And I'm glad that you overall did like it, despite some of its failings. Like it's, it, it's been one that's been on my radar and largely just because it has a pretty box. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I am glad to hear that it mostly holds up technically and mm-hmm. it's, um, it's going to be kind of cool. I saw also when I was, uh, putting together the footage for your edit of your, uh, your review it um like even like the fighter character who kind of like fights with like shield stabby mm. arm things or something, whatever. But like, even he gets like magic and stuff like that. So it seems like it's like where the class is uh, pretty rote in terms of like the no. gear and stuff. Cause like you were doing all these side quests, like are you trying to get gear? Does it unlocks um, abilities? Like what is the benefit doing aside from the satisfaction of I did a nice thing.
3: I mean, honestly, like the, the side quest rewards, like you'll get like a, a, an accessory that's expensive maybe at that point. Um, like they're not amazing. They're good. Um, it's not
0: like you're trying to find like rare one time only things by right. doing the quests. No.
3: I mean, it was really just like the satisfaction for the, from a story oh, gotcha. perspective. A good
1: deed is its own reward, Greg. Yeah, No, I, mean, they, I want they, an they... ultimate weapon, Jono. <laughs> they give you the motivation for it. I helped this old lady cross the street and she didn't give me a sword. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I want to break worlds, lady. Either way, uh, it still looks pretty
0: cool. And, uh, you know, you can you can even play it on Stadia. That's fine. This, this thing's
1: on everything <laughs> but toasters. So it's kind of funny because if there's one thing you definitely won't be able to play on it in the future, it's a Stadia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that
0: came out. It looks awesome. And we had another awesome game come out. Like, we've we've got two people on here who played Bangers, which has been great because uh, Monster Hunter Stories Two Wings of Ruin uh, has been also on our radar for a while. The first one Uh, I picked up the first one back when the sequel was announced. I was like, oh, that's coming up. And I think they actually had a sale around that time, too, because they know what they're doing. And since I still have my 3DS, I was like, I'm picking this bad boy up. Uh, And they haven't, uh, for some reason, uh, my brain might be lying to me. They haven't announced that they're porting it to the Switch, right? This is the first one. That's not a thing, right?
1: That is not a thing. Okay, thank you. I'm not crazy. If this is successful, however, I suspect that yeah, Nintendo maybe. would be happily, happily would charge you upwards of 60 to $70 to play <laughs> uh, Monster Hunter Stories on the Switch. Remaster. Yeah, because it's, it's still a pretty game. It
0: looks real good on the 3DS. Like I've been really enjoying it. Uh, it. It impresses me how much of a draw distance that game has. And yeah, it has me hotly anticipating this one. So Corey, you got to play this one and uh if i recall i think you had said this is your first foray into any form of monster hunting yeah how was that because you're not hunting them really i guess so so to speak in this one
2: well i mean you know spoiler alert i gave it a very positive review and it is my first monster hunter game so that should tell you how accessible it is for newcomers yeah nice and just like you said it's stories is a monster collecting spinoff from the main series so instead of hunting monsters you collect and battle with them.
0: Yeah, and you're not like Ash where you sit in the background and like let them do it for you.
2: You're up there with them. You are up there with them. You don't always, you know, find yourself as effective as they are, but you are up there with them. Otherwise, you know, I, I really think pretty highly of the game i strongly recommend it but it does otherwise follow in the footsteps of pokemon and kind of other monster collecting games that came before it and that the real draws here are the monster um, or here it's called monsty <laughs> which gives you a sense of the uh light vibe at play it's very cutesy for sure yeah you get an animal companion i mean come on yeah um i mean i i enjoyed that but i you know i think that's getting a mixed reception generally
0: yeah it's know the audience i mean i like it i'm still open to that stuff like my daughter is 11 would adore that sort of stuff right and i've yet to get her to try the first one but i think she'd really like it whereas the complex systems of monster hunter world and the, the mainline games would be a little more uh, elusive for someone her age right
2: yeah i think that's right although interestingly enough so the combat here is actually pretty complex in a good way so Like a lot of other RPGs, the battles here turn on a weapons triangle. Right, yeah. So each of your attacks is associated with one of three elements. You've got power, technical, and speed. And each of those is effective against another. So when you use a move that's effective against the type of attack your enemy monster, uh, enemy monster uses, you contribute to what's called your kinship meter. And the game will give you a hint about like the type of attack that your enemy is going to use. So a monster might, for example, electrify itself and dart around a bit in place which is the game's way of telling you that it's going to attack with speed. So once you land a few type effective attacks, you fill that kinship meter I mentioned, and then you can actually ride your monstie at that point, which like looks and sounds kind of ridiculous, but you boost your attack and defense quite a bit, um, which makes battles, especially boss battles, a whole lot easier. And then if you land a few type effective moves while while you're riding... You can use these really powerful skills that are called kinship skills that wrap up most battles pretty quickly. And frankly, this is a hard-ish game. So you're kind of going to need to match your types and unleash those kinship skills to get through most of the bosses. I remember
0: getting my butt handed to me if uh, yeah, I guessed wrong or didn't get it too much in a row like it could be very punishing if you're you're not on it but it's you once you get it you get it yeah
2: and the game is fair about kind of giving you hints which is something i think the first game was criticized for that the type uh the attack type patterns were kind of irregular and unpredictable i was
0: going to say like when you said that they had that visual cue i'm like i don't remember that that sounds awesome
2: yeah it's a little simpler here um and this whole system to me sounded really convoluted honestly and kind of strange but once you play a few battles it clicks and feels really fluid in action and there's a degree of strategy to it that, and I, I hate that I'm saying this, there's a degree of strategy to it that's kind of absent from Pokemon. Like, I'm a huge Pokemon fan, but battles in that game sh- strike me as, let me spam my like most powerful ability, and, you know, that can get me through most battles.
0: Yeah, like... I was even talking about that with my daughter, who's an avid Pokemon fan, as anyone who has listened listened to the podcast in the past knows. And just I find, yeah, there's not a lot of nuance to a lot of like like those support abilities and stuff. Like, I think they have a bit more play in competitive play and such. Uh, definitely not for single player such stuff, because you're just kind of wasting a turn to be like, I'm going to buff my Pokemon. when you're like, you can probably just use those two turns to take it out in two hits as opposed to buffing for one big hit. Like I always found that was kind of like the give and take.
2: Yeah, I mean, this system is a far cry from that, and that you'll need to not just match the types that I was talking about, but you will need to rely on support skills and items. Oh, good. You know, Greg, I agree. I think that is a good thing. I think some people they might not be looking for that level of complex combat, but I I think it is a Mm, good thing. Nice. And I honestly found that this is one of the only RPGs I've played recently that really maintain my focus during battle. Like with all the systems that we just talked about, I really never found myself Like zoning out or you know like checking my twitter timeline during a a longer jrpg battle like that never happened here
0: or equipping a stapler to do it for you
2: (laughs) you know i'll confess that with other games i won't mention that i also think highly of i find myself zoning out a little bit in battle but not so here it can
0: yeah the grind is a
2: grind for called a grind for a reason and the other thing that this game Kind of draws you into do that, it also does really well is the monsty collecting. Um, so the game litters these monsty dens across its pretty expansive world. And most of these dens are randomly placed throughout the maps. So whenever you go um, into a zone or out of a, de- a zone, Uh, New dens pop up, old dens disappear. And each den is basically a small dungeon that has a monster egg at the end for you to steal. And with a few exceptions, the dungeons and the eggs in them are randomized. So every time you come across one, there's a bit of excitement about what you might be scooping up. And some eggs are rarer than others and they contain the games more sought after monsties and very weirdly you smell the eggs and you weigh them and that kind of tells you their rarity level as you're picking them up
0: they're just like tomatoes
2: they're just like tomatoes except together they spawn 128 different monsties that populate the game and all those monsties they have just like in pokemon right they have like different stats and different abilities So if you like collecting monsters, you know, if you're a fan of Dragon Quest monsters, if you like the Pokemon games, you're going to get lost here pretty easily. I mean, I I certainly did. I frankly had a hard time stopping myself from uh, monster hunting, uh, you know, and and turning back to the main quest just because it was so addicting. Just Capcom
0: puts their fingers together. Good, good.
2: Well, and I won't dwell on this too much, but just like Zach was talking about, the story here, it's... It has its moments. It has some moving plot twists and some interesting characters that you can invest in, but it isn't the main attraction. And it is a little cookie-cutter in how it plays out. And I, I talk about that more in my review, but definitely don't go into this one looking for a Final Fantasy type story. Okay. But it it is a step up from Pokemon and that and its ilk. Like there is a little more going on here. Um it is, you know, it does have more characters. There are actual plot twists. Um and I won't say more than that. I don't want to spoil anything. But um, the story is, is not the draw, but it isn't terrible.
0: Yeah, I remember that from the first one, too. It was, you kind of like, you're like, I know what I'm getting with this, but I'm still kind of invested in it. And yeah, you're kind of there for the gameplay, but at least it's not a very rote story.
2: Yeah, and another aspect of the game that kind of stuck with me, um, and this is just like Tales, the graphics here are, I thought they were stunning. Um, the game drops the more realistic graphics that the mainline games use. Right, and it kind of throws in this anime aesthetic that, to me, looks like a mix of Dragon Quest 11 and Breath of the Wild. Okay, cool. I get very like yokai kind of watch vibes. Yeah, that's a fair description too. Um, and you know, given the game's kind of more lighthearted vibe, this shift complements the tone, and I think makes the game a little bit uh, more effective. And you know, they're not the most detailed graphics. You know, they're they're relatively simple, but they really ooze a lot of... Um, yeah, like a cartoony anime. Yeah. They ooze a lot of charm, and you could tell that a lot of care went into them, especially the um, environment. So the game is, I mean, it's a pretty long game. It's like a 40 to 50 hour game, and there are some huge semi-open world zones in the game. You've got beaches, volcanoes, snow-capped mountains. So you're going to spend a lot of time exploring, and it, it's frankly a joy to do. Um, I mean, the areas are just, they really invite you to explore them. Most of them are, maybe all of them are pretty stunning. And if you played the demo, you've kind of, uh, messed around in Hakalo Island, which is the opening area. And I thought that was maybe the coziest beach area I've ever seen in an RPG.
0: Is that in one of your screens that you grabbed?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's in one of, yeah, it looks gorgeous. It is, um, You don't spend a whole lot of time there, but the other areas, they match that level of quality with the visuals. I also thought the music in the game is another one of its selling points. All the tracks are um, pretty heavy instrumentals, but they're all really poppy and upbeat in a way that matches the game's style. And especially the battle music really energizes you. For example, like when the battle music was playing, there's a a couple different tracks that the game kind of... Um, switches between for battles, but they're all really energizing. And it was hard for me to honestly sit still when it came on. And I'm not really, you know, I don't have the most robust musical vocabulary. I'm not a, you know, a music person, but I can tell you here, the music was absolutely stellar um, and really fit the game's tone quite well.
0: Excellent. Uh, question for you, because that's the other thing I find everyone comes to Monster Hunter for is the gear. Yeah. How was the gear hunting for your various weapons and your various armors that are uh, uh, interpretations of the monsties.
2: So I haven't played the mainline games, but my understanding is that those games rely pretty heavily on a crafting system where you kind of collect monster parts and create gear that way. So that is in this game as well. There are two types of crafting systems here and one of them ties into gear. Whenever you beat uh, monsties, you get a score on how well you did in battle And the better you do in battle, like the quicker you turn out, um, the quicker you defeat your enemies, the more kinship skills you whip off, Um, you get a better score. The better score you get, the more monster parts you get and the rarer parts um, you'll end up getting. And so you can use those parts just like in the mainline games to um, create all sorts of weapons, armor and accessories. Some of the more um, notable flagship monsties, they have their own gear sets in the game and the crafting is really, really accessible. It's Really simple. I mean, you just kind of give the blacksmith whatever ingredients they want in exchange for the item.
0: It's more or less the same in the
2: real uh, in the mainline games too. Oh, all right. um In my mind, it was more complicated there. So, it,
0: well, it is. It's but it boils down to that, where you collect the ingredients and you give them to the person to craft what it is. But it's just there's always just such a minutiae of ingredients. That's the thing. Whereas I think this one's yeah, a lot more accessible, was my understanding.
2: Yeah. There aren't as many ingredients. So like each monster yeah. might have like two or three types of things that might drop. Um, and I found that you didn't really need to do a whole lot of grinding to get the parts that you need for good gear, okay. which, which I appreciated. Uh, so the crafting is accessible, simple, and you definitely have to use it to get good gear. But it isn't it isn't the draw in the same way that the uh, battling and collecting is.
0: Yeah, because that's basically what you're there for in the mainline games is to get cooler gear to fight cooler monsters. That's more the draw. And then the stories, it's there. But you just you're coming there to fight big things and try and find as many mandibles and uh, vertebra and whatever else that you need. Tufts of hair <laughs> to make the various pieces you need.
2: Yeah, you'll see some of that here. Um, but you know, when you put on new gear and when you, um, put on new accessories, you can see them on your character and they look really cool. It's just, the game doesn't really kind of spend a whole lot of time pushing you to get new gear or kind of focusing in on that system. Gotcha. It's more about the monsties. Yeah. Um, you said you played the first game, so you're probably familiar with the, the channeling system where you sacrifice a monstie to, kind of beef up another one.
0: Oh, yeah, I hadn't done it yet, but I think I, I uh, yeah, I had that explained to me. It kind of reminded me of um, Monster Rancher. When you like breed your monster, so to speak, you you splice them into the new generation of monster.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's like that here. It's got that same kind of moral dubiousness because here um, you basically sacrifice a monster and you could take one of their um, active or passive abilities and transition it to Another one, and each monster has like a grid of about nine or ten um, open slots f- uh, into which you can put in other monsties active and passive abilities. And so you're basically offering up monsties throughout the game, kind of waving goodbye to them, just like Monster Rancher, or just like in Pokemon when you release a monster, and you can take their abilities and give them to another monster. And I, I really. I struggle with this at first because the monsters are... They're all really cute. If you've seen a single screenshot of this game, you know that to be true. But the system is really fun because you can kind of... You have a lot of incentive to catch as many monsters as you can. And then to kind of strategically sacrifice them to shape your team as you like. If you want to have a team that's focused more on defense, you can use this system to bolster that. If you are more like me and you're more offense-focused you know, you can um, catch monsties that have high offense and speed and kind of sacrifice a good number of them to optimize one or two um, to see you through the game. And I thought that was a nice touch that gave me a bit of control as to my team and kept me incentivized to hunt monsties.
0: It seems pretty uh, inescapable with these kind of games that you would have that there's always some morally questionable act in terms of how you are dealing with it. Like whenever you're going to be involved in forcing monsters or creatures to fight for you, there's going to be some questionable aspect to it and how you raise them just for uh, digital cockfighting, essentially.
2: Yeah, I mean, on that point, you're also, as I mentioned earlier, you're taking eggs from dens and quite literally just stealing them. That left me feeling kind of gross. Yeah, how did you not like tank the population? (sighs) Well, you know, again, they're randomly generated in perpetuity. So they just keep, somehow they just keep coming out.
0: Okay, good. (laughs) So you're not going to ruin the ecosystem.
2: No, no. um, There's not that level of guilt on your shoulders. And maybe the best advice I can give is to not follow my lead and not spend a whole lot of time thinking about that. Um, But there is, (laughs) there is some moral gray area there, if, if I could call it that. Right. But You know, again, I really enjoyed Monster Hunter Stories 2, and I never played a Monster Hunter game, and I am absolutely raving about this one. So regardless of whether you've played a Monster Hunter game before, if you like monster collecting games, monster battling games, or if you like JRPGs more generally, I, I do think this one's worth checking out. I mean, it's Really beautiful. It has deep combat, and the monster collecting is frankly pretty addictive.
0: Follow up questions from you two at all? I mean, I
3: don't have any follow up questions except for I love everything you just said, and now I know what game I'm purchasing next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you tell me combat is that, that that's like that deep? Oh, I'm I'm there all day. The,
2: the combat really is probably the best RPG combat I've played in a long time. So you won't be disappointed. I feel like you played, you
3: played Persona 5 Royal pretty recently too, right? I feel like the
2: combat there is excellent. Uh, Yeah, I've been playing that game for about a year now.
3: So (laughs) that sounds like probably the appropriate amount of time to play that game.
0: (laughs) You're going to try to blast through it. Um, I think you said, Corey, but to refresh me, there's still there's just the three types in the um the, it's a, the triangle right so I'm wondering if as the series goes if they're going to try and Pokemon it a little bit and try and introduce quote unquote new types
2: yeah I think so you've got the attack types that I talked about power speed and technical yeah uh, monsters themselves they have like associations with particular elements but unlike Pokemon
0: okay that's right
2: yeah like they're not as typecast as Pokemon right where in Pokemon you got like poison type fire type and that will kind of determine so much about them it's a little more fluid here and their type affinity does doesn't really play the same role in the
1: game it sounds like a considerably more um user-friendly entry into the series than a lot of the other ones Mm. i mean i have i have heard uh various people on the site very passionately talk about monster hunter uh for example um is a massive fan of the series i've always thought wow this this sounds really really cool but it doesn't quite seem like a thing that i would really get pulled into but hearing you speak about monster hunter stories 2 it sounds like a much more accessible game for more traditional jrpg fans like there's turn-based combat it has uh it has mon it has uh monster collecting very much in the vein of pokemon like you said um i can see myself playing this and from that be like i want to explore more of the series and not just like the not just the uh the previous game on the 3DS, like actually get into the series proper. Do you have any desire to hop into like Monster Hunter World immediately or anything like that? Yeah,
2: I definitely do. So throughout this game, you know, you're collecting these monsties and battling these monsties. I didn't have a point of reference. And so I found myself kind of Googling, hey, what does this Rathalos look like in the mainline games?
0: It's your nightmares. That's what it looks like.
2: <laughs> yeah, some of them really do look like nightmares in both games, actually.
1: Worse to fight. They do a good job of translating the uh, the nightmares into cute monsters. I'd like
0: to see them change uh, that weird fleshy thing with teeth into <laughs> into <laughs> Monster Hunter stories, but
2: I invite it. Oh, I got bad news. I mean, I think that thing is in this game, and I think that's where my mind oh. <laughs> is going. I forget... It has a funny name.
0: I'm blanking on his name right now, yeah. But
2: it, it's one of the scariest looking things I've ever seen.
0: Selossi is screaming at us right now in the ether.
2: <laughs> it's this, you idiot. Um, but Jono, definitely I, I feel an interest in checking out the mainline games. I have a pretty bad case of backlog anxiety right now. So like, I don't feel positioned to do that, but it's on
1: my radar. Oh, what's that? back Backlog? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure I understand quite what you mean. There are games that are on your list of things you'd like to play. <laughs> Why don't you just play them all? Come on. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't. Main- I couldn't maintain that for very long.
2: Well, if you want to share your time machine where we can just kind of pretend time isn't a variable, I'm I'm open to that.
1: Well, we gotta to talk to Zach for that. Zach, what did you use for Christine?
3: <laughs> I used. I don't have to work in the summer.
0: <laughs> can you imagine like having that power that Chris Bell has? Be like, wait do I ever get time to play these games? I don't. <laughs> oh no.
3: You look, you look in the future and your copy of uh, final fantasy 14 is
1: still on its shrink wrap. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> I can think of many people for that would be a nightmare though. If they just woke up from their sleep and they were like, Oh, was it all a dream? And they look over and they've never played final fantasy 14. They're just like, I spent that long in a dream playing <laughs> final fantasy 14. <14." laughs>
3: I don't even want to tell you how many hours I put into it last year. It's like, I, I don't want to say the number.
0: <laughs> you basically just made the plot of an anime. That's true. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this sounds awesome. I am very excited to eventually get to this one as well. I, I really have been wanting to get back to Monster Hunter Stories. And this is um, piquing my interest. Again, I have just too many games, too many projects, too many things going on in life to get back to it. But this is a very good reason, I think, to, to go check it out. Otherwise, uh, I know, Jono, you and I have been kind of puttering away at a few things. Uh, I just had a preview go up of Kateria Fables from P-Cube and Twin Hearts were the developers. Uh, because P-Cube, who is the publisher, was holding um, a preview event. Got to do a QA and a with this and another uh, title that doesn't fall into our coverage that we were looking at. And yeah, this game, uh, it's been on my radar since it was kind of teased back at E3. It's a farming sim action adventure, except everybody is anthropomorphic animals uh your main character is a cat hence the name kataria fables Uh, and you can interchange your fur willy-nilly and you're interacting with bears who are blacksmiths and bunnies who farm and polar bears who are sages and commander tigers all kinds of cool stuff like it's just a cutesy little animal world kind of like a little not quite red wall but you know kind of has that vibe it's stylistically stunning and well executed it's a beautiful looking game what i played so far in the preview has been actually really quite fun it's as much as it's got the farming aspects to it it's really i found more action rpg than it is farming sim or action adventure game i guess because the rpg elements are light because you don't get experience or um, level up in that regard all your growth is determined by the equipment that you upgrade Hmm. uh much kind of like uh, say, Moonlighter, so you don't level up, but you yeah you get gear and you can craft items with people in town and you can harvest your vegetables and people will turn them into food that you can eat to get buffs and potions and stuff like that. So that's all kind of neat. But yeah, the, you could literally leave the farming aspect aside if you really wanted to, but it would make your journey harder because you need it for, why would you yeah certain quest things and it's a nice little break from what you're doing but it's it seems at this point uh to be a very rudimentary version of it it's uh the game wears its inspirations on its sleeve of like Ruin Factory and Stardew Valley and of course Harvest Moon uh and Story of Seasons but uh yeah most it's most akin to Ruin Factory but heavily leaning more towards the action adventure aspect as opposed to the farming stuff so there's less customization in terms of your farm and all that stuff but everything you equip seems to change you. And I did like one thing that the equipment isn't simply just like, I put on a piece of armor and now I have higher defense. Like you can actually have some strategy in how you want to do that. Cause there's certain things you will get that will give you a higher movement speed. So you can be a little more dodgy when you're fighting things since everything's real time action combat, or you can, um, yeah, just have better magic defense or better magic power. So you kind of have to play around with your, ability sets and such like that and then you have three types of attacks you have a sword that you can upgrade you have a bow that you can upgrade and then you can unlock different elemental magic types so you have a fair amount of flexibility for how you want to play the game which i thought was really cool for this title yeah couch co-op sounds like a
1: nice feature too it is
0: i wanted to get time to play with gwen for the preview but it just didn't work out unfortunately with our schedule that weekend once we got the preview code in and had time to play it because
1: this certainly does look like a game that Gwen would like. And it's obviously age friendly. I could see her and a friend of hers
0: have like two. I have one particular friend of hers in mind who I know would uh, adore this. I mean, they're all friends of being fans of being cat peoples. Uh, I think either I or Gwen has mentioned it on the show before. There's a game called cat tales, which is essentially Stardew Valley, except your cats, but not like anthropomorphic cats, your four legged cats, So it's like warriors combined with Stardew Valley. And you're just going around and you get into like fights with them. I've been meaning to sometime do like a retro review actually of it because it seems to have pretty robust like RPG features. So this is very much like if you like those kind of games, this is very much going to be up your alley. Yeah, I was playing it on Steam, though, and like it definitely recommends playing it on controller and it's going to be on Switch. I could see this working really well, although... As Zach pointed out, Switch sometimes has some issues, and it's possible this game could chug on it a bit, because, I mean, the world isn't huge, like, it's a very big world to explore, but it's uh, it's compartmentalized into kind of, like, little area maps with a few little exits, and then they load and go off into the next zone kind of thing, so that might help it, but it's not like Tail seemed that huge either, but who knows, right? It also could be the optimization on the developer side, I'm not sure. It was pretty smooth for me, though, and I was playing it on the high settings, so and my computer's pretty beefy, so I'm sure it'll be fine. But uh, I could see it playing really well on something like that on the go. And yeah, catch co-op with a friend on like any other thing uh, would be a lot of fun. And I, I do want to play that uh, with the preview version or the beta version that we got with Gwen at some point and see how she likes it. Because I think she'll take to it pretty well. And the downside is basically just makes the game easier because there's no scaling or anything with enemies when you add another player. Mm. Yeah. So you're just setting yourself up just for more fun and tactical battles just to help you mow things down a lot easier and the game is like kind of has that mmo aspect of every once in a while you'll come across a foe that's clearly bigger and a different color than everything and is obviously a rare monster like i meant this big purple slime in the first map and i was like i can go take this on because because it's skill based and not uh stat based you theoretically could take on anything you want if you have enough patience to just wail and dink away at its hp but as soon as it lands a hit on you, you're pretty much done. Mm. But if you can keep dodging enough and rolling around, you could take it on. But I, I did a few hits on it and it landed a couple hits on me that I like, like quickly mowed down some bread and got back in there. But I was like barely doing anything. I'm like, this is going to take me at least half an hour to 45 minutes to get through this at this point in my <laughs> career. Uh, I do not want. Hmm. So I quickly ran away. But maybe it's a little more accessible early on. If we upgrade to the next sword and the two of us try taking it out, maybe I'd have a better chance. I don't know.
1: Well, when the game actually comes out, that might be a fun game to have uh, Gwen on the show again. Yeah, it, it could work out uh,
0: depending on how that all falls with the reviews and such. But it's—I
1: uh, I showed it to her back when it was—we got the
0: announcement trailer for it, and she was very much on board with uh, with it. Um, the only reason I think she hasn't played it is just time and kids. You know, you, you want them to play the things to help you out with the sort of stuff, and they're like, "But I'm not interested in that right now. I want a Roblox." <laughs> Fine. Go play your Roblox.
1: I think the games like this are fantastic. <laughs> it's 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 easy for us to get wrapped up in uh I guess the the hardcore RPGs or the yeah. I guess more adult games. And I really do like that there are games that are available that both uh adults and children can enjoy like this. I guess to an extent, Monster Hunter stories too as well. Maybe not quite Gwen's age, but like... She has
0: played it a bit. She fell off, oh, she has it, played uh, but she
1: still likes it in the idea of it. But this game, like, for example, uh, Monster Hunter Stories 2 seems much more accessible to that age group. Absolutely,
0: yeah. I think she'd be down. Well,
1: still not being, you know, a game for kids, obviously. It's not at all, but it is a game that is accessible yeah, for kids. Exactly.
0: Like, yeah, exactly. 12, 13, 14 in that bracket is probably going to start hitting a sweet spot for her with something like that to get some of the more involved systems and uh, themes. But this one is, yeah, definitely... Mm hits its stride. They said that too. Like it's very much um, a good, like baby's first RPG in a lot of ways in a lot of its systems. And, and yeah, for a lot of adults, they might find it a bit too cutie and a bit too simple, but at the same time, as I mentioned in my preview, like I appreciated that simplicity because it, especially if you have something like it on the switch, it's easy for you to just pick up and do your thing and be like, eh, I'm good. Now I'm uh, going from playing legend of mana and how ridiculously convoluted the crafting system and the pet rearing system the farming system like all the little extra side content systems in that game are to this where it's like give me four carrots some honey and uh wood here's your armor cool (laughs) it's a nice breath of fresh air to go like i don't need to go pour over forums and reddit and try and work with pre-made game calculators to try and figure out how to unlock the ultimate weapons right like they just it's all there it's on the list you just got to go shopping for it essentially by smashing monsters mm-hmm. highly recommend if you're into this kind of thing and you want a quick pickup and play or if you got kids this is just hands down a great game to to play with them with and uh it's, it's also surprisingly well written like i was enjoying i got the odd chuckle out of me like your character doesn't speak you're pretty much a new hero who emotes and you have this little like uh it's on the box this little pink character called macaron who's apparently a soldier with you but macaron is curiously not available during fights you just never see them but it's always there in the cutscenes to do all the talking for you. So for some weird reason, Macron just exists to be your mouthpiece. I'm not sure why, but he's still pretty funny, or it's pretty funny, and everything else is pretty well written. Like it's a, it's a compelling game. Like I, I even found myself still. I know how it's probably gonna go, but I I want to find out how it's gonna
1: get there. And that's what you hope for from a preview, really. Yeah,
0: exactly. And like all the other information is in there, like how long it's about gonna take. They don't have a lot of endgame stuff planned out just now, but there is some DLC coming. So. It looks like it's shaping up really great. And what have you been up to? you have uh, I know you've been playing some stuff that, uh, I mean, chronologically, you can't actually talk about it. But by the time this is released, you can.
1: Yeah, uh, which I will be talking about more, a lot more in the future. But the game I'm currently playing is The Great Ace Attorney uh, Chronicles, which is a compilation of The Great Ace Attorney and The Great Ace Attorney 2. Finally, they have gotten lo- officially localized and released in uh, the West. For listeners of the show, you might remember that a uh, few years ago, I downloaded the fan patch or the fan translation patch for oh, right. the yeah, Attorney. Yeah. And I wrote a review for it. Um, yeah. I didn't review, I didn't review the, the story because that wouldn't have been fair to Capcom because obviously they had limited impact on the translation as in none, but these are you know fully translated by Capcom, Capcom's team. Uh, they, the game is being released on PC, Switch, uh, PlayStation. It's I mean, frankly speaking, it's Ace Attorney. If you like Ace Attorney, you're going to love these games. Uh, They are considerably more like the original Ace Attorney than the sequels. Uh, There are a lot more uh, developments, like there's a jury system in this where you have to convince individual members of the jury uh, to basically lean in your direction rather than proclaim that your client is guilty. Um, The big thing about this game is it takes place at at the end of the 19th century. Um, in both Japan and in England. And the game is wonderful. Um, Great story, memorable characters. I mean, if you like Sherlock Holmes, oh boy, you're going to love this because you get to interact with the world's most famous detective, Herlock Sholmes.
0: The Shomeliest guy around?
1: Yeah, the estate of uh, Arthur Conan Doyle is notoriously litigious when it comes to Sherlock Holmes. And
0: at this point, our podcast was cut off because we got sued for mentioning his name on the podcast.
1: So I guess that Capcom kind of just like shrugged and said, whatever. It's still a Victorian steampunk version of Sherlock Holmes, and there's a version of Watson. And yeah, you just go around Victorian London and Japan solving mysteries, taking on clients, defending them in court. Uh, It has the usual insanely convoluted Ace Attorney-esque plots. You have the -the over-the-top clients and the -the over-the-top witnesses. And my biggest complaint about the first game was that it was more so than any other Ace Attorney game I ever played, or maybe even any game I've ever played, period— it was entirely set up. I have never played a game that introduced that many mysteries and that many questions and had absolutely no interest whatsoever in actually resolving any of them. So when I played the fan translation, I got to the end of it and I was—I had so many questions and there was literally no way for me to find out what the answers were aside from watching a uh, translated playthrough on YouTube, which I was not going to do. So I had to wait until the next fan translation came out, the second one, or until Capcom localized. And thankfully, they localized it. So now I'm getting all of the answers to the questions I've had for like a year and a half. And I have to say, some of them are very satisfying. And some of them are real head scratchers uh, as to what uh, the writer was thinking. Maybe they'll be resolved a little bit in the future. So yeah, I'm not done yet. I still have two full cases to play in the second game. It is I have to say that if you like Ace Attorney, this is going to be a real good investment because they are both. There's five cases in both games, and these are not minuscule cases, especially the later ones in either game. They there is a lot to play through here. Uh, so if you like text adventures, if you love Ace Attorney in general, these are going to be well worth your money. But those aren't the only games I was playing. When I was at the cottage, I played another uh, absolutely delightful game that also had to do with murder called Overboard. Exclamation point! Inkle uh, is the company that made it, and they made it in just a few months. And it is a text; it's a text adventure kind of game. Where there's there's graphics, a visual novel, and the whole point of it is you and your husband go on this ship. You're traveling to America, and uh, you are the wife. And at the very beginning of it, you push your husband overboard, and then the next day, you have to wander around the ship, talking to the other passengers and you try to almost reverse-engineer. I'm trying to think of a good way to describe this. It's like clue in reverse. You're trying to frame someone on the ship, and you have to like maneuver things, you have to keep your story straight, you have to create suspicion in the eyes of your fellow passengers, and the whole point of the game is you want to get off the ship with A, having perfectly framed someone, B, making sure that you do get your life insurance policy, and C, making sure that there are no loose ends. So it's really wide open. There are a number of really interesting characters on board. It's wide open. In fact, when I first started playing it for a game that is so simple and small, it, it it's almost overwhelming. And then eventually you start to learn the routines of the various passengers on the ship. It's a little bit like Hitman in that way. In order to master the game, you need to know where all passengers are at any given time and how long it takes to get to various areas of the ship. I think it is just wonderful. It is a if you like Agatha Christie, for example, Agatha Christie Murder Mysteries, this is a game that you will love to play. Uh, it plays on a lot of the, the tropes in those stories. And it's kind of like a little bit Groundhog Day-esque. Like when you, whatever you do, if you get arrested at the end, if you get caught for the murder, or if you die, or if or even if you are mildly successful, you always restart the day and can, uh, and can take it from there and see where else it goes. And you can, I think you can frame literally anyone on board I got, to, I got to the best ending and I kept playing it because it was just so much fun. It was delightful. And I know it's available for Steam. I played it on Switch. Ran fantastic. So yeah, uh, Overboard. I highly recommend it. it. It's a lot of fun. I should have a review coming out for it pretty soon.
0: Are either of you two uh, Ace Attorney fans? I mean, I I've, I've had passing interest in the series for a long time. I just have yet to make the... The investment and they're they all sound really good
2: <laughs> no i've never uh i've never played them they look kind of intriguing um but typically i think they've been on handheld right and yeah. i've never been like a handheld person
1: they were originally released the first three were released for game boy Advance in japan and then they were uh remastered uh, with a, with a single edition for the first game for the DS. But since then they have been released for just about every platform you can think They've of imported to steam now. Yeah. They're all on steam. Uh, switch has the original trilogy. Uh, I would not recommend downloading the original trilogy for iOS. The version is it's, it's, it's terrible. Uh, it's really not the best way to play the game on iOS, but the steam version is fantastic. The, it plays really, really well on uh, the Switch. And the nice thing, of, I mean, there are a lot of entries about this. There are six entries in the mainline series. There's two spin spin-off games starring the prosecutor. There are three seasons of anime. There is a crossover game starring uh, Phoenix Wright and Professor Layton. And there uh, is this. And this, because it's a prequel, it's a really good jump on point because you literally don't need to know any of the characters. There are no, there's, there's some ancestors in the game. From characters that you meet in the main series, but there's no real connection between them. Uh, there's a few Easter eggs. So, yeah, if you ever feel like playing a very engaging visual novel adventure game the ace attorney games are great and if you want to jump on board the great ace attorney chronicles is a real good place to start good to know yeah i'm a fan obviously i'm a fan i loved it i played i, I played a friggin' fan translation of the game like and reviewed it so when are you going to make your game primer <laughs> <laughs> that's actually it's something i was thinking about that's a great idea oh i like no it. no Why did you say that, Greg? I object. (laughs) I have to say that one of the things I was retroactively most impressed with this is the job that Scarlet Study, they were the uh, fan translators, did with the first game. There are some significant differences. Uh, I think that Capcom's pun game uh, in terms of names is better than Scarlet Study. It's an art form. Yeah, it is an art form. Uh, I think Scarlet Study did a remarkable, remarkable job of translating this. At the time, I felt it was so similar to Capcom's style and how well they matched uh, their translation to the established Ace Attorney tone. And while playing this game, I think there are actually a few places where Scarlet Study managed to nail the tone even a little bit more than Capcom did. Uh, it's, It's give or take, there are other places where Capcom obviously did do a better job, but Uh, It's just, I've always been very impressed by fan translations. And these folks did a remarkable, remarkable job. I can only imagine, they were apparently midway through translating uh, The Great Ace Attorney 2 when the compilation was released. So I can only imagine how it must have hurt to have done all that work and then know that it's not really, nothing's really going to come from it because, you know, the official version is going to be released. Uh, I think I checked the website when it was announced and they released a very classy statement about it. But I got to say... That must have been uh, heartbreaking. But again, if it wasn't for them translating the first game and showing that the interest was there, there's a good chance that we might not have even gotten these. So I really want to applaud them and uh, say that their translation is extraordinarily good, even when compared to the Capcom. So that was that was a nice thing to uh, that was a nice thing to realize as I finished playing the first game.
0: They're a series, like I said, that I've been meaning to get to. I like the idea of them. It's just. A deep dive. I mean, even Professor Layton's like, I want to get back to as well. And I want to see that crossover, which did we get the crossover? Did it get localized?
1: We got it. It's on 3DS. I think, unfortunately, the 3DS, I think that's one of the only Ace Attorney titles that is only available on 3DS at this point. It's never been put on another platform. Yeah, there is still one Ace Attorney game, uh, Ace Attorney Investigations 2, uh, with Miles Edgeworth that has not been localized. It was on DS. However, I don't think the team at Scarlet Study did it, but I know that a lot of the team members, they did a fan translation of that too, and I have played that, and it is an exceptional, exceptional game. I wouldn't be shocked if you get an official announcement sometime soon. Well, I think they've basically run out of uh, things to re-release, so at some point they might do it. I'll give you some new stuff. Yeah. Ace Attorney VR! That'd be super kind of fun. That would be fun. You'd really need to perfect your uh, your objection, and you need to make sure that you don't accidentally throw the controller into the television set <laughs> across the room. Right.
0: Objection! Crash! Oop. A very, very hearty objection. Uh, well, before we Wrap up the show now that we're kind of running to the end of things. Um, I mean, first things we did briefly mention just <laughs> the not so great news of the not so great upgrade to the Switch that happened while we were on hiatus, and uh, that is underwhelming. And all of our predictions at E3 for what we wanted from a Switch Pro, and they're like,
1: Yeah, here's here's this." <laughs> the only way the announcement could have been more apt is that they set it to the uh, the losing theme from The Price Is Right. Uh, boom! 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 <laughs> But here's the joke on us is the thing sold like gangbusters. Yeah. So obviously there was a demand there for a sharper and bigger screen.
0: No, and it's it's great like it I think for uh for late adopters for for new buyers it's it's awesome. Like if I didn't have one, yeah, I'd be excited for that upgrade, but I also would have been mad if I was still holding off for like I'm going to get like the Switch Pro. And that's all it was. I would have been like Ugh.
1: I mean, I don't actually think that anyone, we, we joke about it and we joked about it the last few episodes and I joked about it earlier on this one, but I don't think that the people who expected the switch pro to be released were necessarily wrong in their desire because as was pointed out with both of these switch ports, it's chugging. It's just chugging the frame rate issues. The fact that it's slow, the load times, like it needs, it's just not competing anymore with, especially now that the, uh, PlayStation Five is out with the SSD. It's just not competing anymore. Yeah,
0: they're going to get left behind, I think, by some developers, which we I would be shocked if we see an, a new system announcement in the next year or two.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. Like I've always, I've always maintained that Nintendo is not in the same business necessarily as Sony and Microsoft when it comes to video yeah, games. Yeah, we talked
0: about that a bit ago. Yeah,
1: but even still, they they desperately need a more powerful yeah. machine. I would adore the idea of Nintendo's next release which will likely be a new Nintendo Switch because I think they'd be absolutely silly to leave behind this branding.
0: Maybe I don't know. They said that they're not good they have no plans to iterate, but Yeah, but
1: that's Nintendo. These are the people who released the Wii U. (laughs) Um I think that at some point it would be really cool if Nintendo actually decided to like push the way to the front of the pack and be like, okay, we're we're gonna push this forward and we're gonna make this thing as powerful, if not more powerful than the PlayStation 5. And but I don't think they're gonna do that. I think No,
0: they want to make it consumer friendly. Yeah,
1: this thing is going to be super consumer friendly. Um it just would be nice if it was as powerful as a smartphone. yeah, but anyway, it's I rarely play my switch in handheld mode. I played it like that when I was at the cottage, obviously, but like I usually play it on the TV. So this is't an update for me. But for someone like Solosi, i don't I don't think Solosi's buying it, but I know Solosi plays uh, the switch yeah. primarily in handheld. So I think that he would be playing that this would be an upgrade that would be worthy of someone who, really plays it on the go or on the couch or in bed or that kind of thing. It's just a question, when do we get like the
0: more improved Switch Lite then that has all these but is handheld only, you know? I don't know if that'll be a thing or not.
1: Probably Nintendo is done announcing Switch hardware for at least... I don't think we'll get anything next year. I'd be stunned if we got anything in 2023 even. No, they're just
0: going to keep making cool games that they optimize for their system and we'll all be happy for it.
1: Yeah. We also have to remember that often as reviewers we do review the game prior to release and there are often zero-day patches that that update it and actually make it run a little bit smoother. That's not always the case. But I mean, when I played CrossCode, for example, it was a disaster on the Switch. And it was this was well after release. So it's just not that powerful a system. I love my Switch. Don't get me wrong. But we're always going to be complaining about framework issues. It's just if it, that's just the reality of it. It's the reality of the platform.
0: Well, until people can also get their hands on PS5s, though. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of the way to
1: go, I guess. Okay, you're not wrong. Yeah. Or Xbox. Series SXs. There's been a lot of news over the last couple of days, which has been really interesting. And, like, in my mind, a like, <gasps> you get really excited and then you are like, oh, just like the new Nintendo Switch with OLED, and that's it. Okay. Another one for me is the new Bravely Default game, Bravely Default Brilliant Lights, <gasps> which is coming out on mobile devices. Yeah. Oh. And it could be really neat. Or it could be. Just yeah, gotcha for jobs. I'm a little worried that it might be gotcha because I'm looking at the like bravely default two took place in a completely different world, but based on the screenshots that have come out uh, with brilliant lights, there are characters from bravely default and bravely second in this game. Yeah, it's going to be yeah you know,
0: like record keeper and everything else of get fan favorites. And there you go. I'm really
1: really hoping. It looks great. Like I mean it well, I mean it looks like bravely default. It does look sharp. But uh I I really really would love if this game came out in the West and it was its own thing. I recently replayed for a bunch of reasons. I replayed Final Fantasy Dimensions, which for the for iOS, which is a game I really wish that I, uh, Square Enix would update because it hasn't been updated in a few years and it doesn't recognize keyboards or controllers, so I had to play it with the touchscreen, which is very irritating. But like it having a full blown original JRPG experience on iOS is something that I love is very delightful um, and I wish that I, I really hope that Bravely Default Brilliant Lights delivers that kind of thing and not just like grind for the characters from the earlier games that sort gotcha. of gotcha uh, Corey do you have anything you're looking forward to <laughs> gotcha
2: <laughs> I think uh, for me right now I'm pretty excited about the Final Fantasy 4 5 and 6 releases mm, right and w- when I say releases I guess I do mean on the PC, but I'm really holding out for that, you know, that Switch announcement, like any day now.
0: <laughs> it just seems like it would make sense. Yeah,
1: from every possible standpoint. I It makes no sense. It Like, there must have been something going on behind the scenes in that where like Nintendo asked for too much money or something. Yeah, or I don't it's know.
0: a delayed release or.
1: I know that's not how it works, but, but there has to be some reason why they aren't releasing it on Switch, which is the natural platform to release the games on. Yeah, hopefully they're listening right now. I think somebody... So we were talking in the RPG uh, fan staff forums and somebody said, I can't remember who it was, said that maybe the reason why is just because of the mobile market in Japan is so massive that maybe that's the reason why we're getting in on mobile first. Yeah, it's possible consoles and stuff could drop later. I mean, I would it, it's a no-brainer. You're right, Corey. It, it's... Why isn't this on Switch? Yeah. I they could just emulate it. Honestly, <laughs> it would work it would work
3: fine on a yeah, Switch. No, we'll see. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: But yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to those too. Um and Zach, anything that you're hotly anticipating coming up?
3: Um honestly, uh I, I hate to say it, but Endwalker. Oh cool, uh, Yep, That's <laughs> It's fair. the thing that I think about most days. Endwalker, and what's days. that? Was that is that a <laughs> Sorry, like I know Caitlin's not here, but she, she really is in spirit. Um, I mean, like, and looks amazing. I, I, I'm also looking forward to the Pixel Remasters as well. So I guess a lot of Final Fantasy, um, which feels good to be excited about Final Fantasy
0: again. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a good few years to have that. Yeah, despite chaos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll hopefully we'll get <laughs> some 16 yeah. announcements and some more about that once we get to the Tokyo Game Show this year. Uh, as far as uh, rounding out the episode, I do have one quick question for y'all because I have been... Since I reviewed Legend of Mana, pretty much just playing Legend of Mana, I could just play that game a whole lot. I finally finally completed my first run-through of it again and decided to go into New Game Plus. And uh, yeah, I've been trying to experiment with crafting more and understand it as much as one can understand it. I'm glad other people have done the work for me because it is deep. It is. I don't know if anyone (laughs) else has played it here, but the crafting system uh, for weapons and armor is just... So convoluted and fascinating, but it's weird, complex chemistry to make it work. Yeah, it's a bizarre system. Anyways, I've been playing it and it was making me think, um, you know, if you were a a classic desert island question for you all, if you were on a desert island, you can only have one game to play for the rest of your days which one would it be? And I was very torn between with Legend of Mana, and I was like, you know, I'd probably collection of mana because I could just replay all three of those games at Infinium for some weird reason. There's just something about them that I can just go back through them again and again and again. I
3: mean, I, I hate to bring up the same game again, but it's true. <laughs> it's Final <laughs> Fantasy 14 for sure. <laughs> There's just like so much content there. It's so good.
0: That's true. Although I will counter, you don't have internet. <laughs>
3: okay, well, if that's <laughs> so the case... You just get to look at the launch screen. That's the entire... <laughs> I, Why won't you patch? Okay, I still... <laughs> still 14. Then. Oh, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I guess for me, it would probably be Suikoden 2. That's the game I've replayed the most times. and You could I keep just,
0: replaying it. <laughs> I
3: love it just as much every time I play it. Um, Final Fantasy Tactics would be in the conversation
0: too.
2: Yeah, that's another one that I could re- redo a lot. Not to uh, veer too close to uh, recent news, but for me, it would be Diablo 2. Um, in that game, I played it a whole time when I was in middle school and high school, and you can play it offline. That's true. So I should be good playing it on the island. Who cares
1: about Battle.net? And Jana Tetris. Yeah, just nonstop Tetris. Tetris. I am not. I am 100% serious. If I'm on a desert island, I do not want a game that is narrative-based or has a limited amount of content in it. I want a game that will stimulate my mind indefinitely. And uh, if I wanted that, I need a puzzle game that can offer me unlimited possibilities. And I'm sorry, I know this is an RPG uh, podcast, but Tetris, Tetris is the ultimate Desert Island game in my mind. Yeah, I can appreciate that. I
3: believe there was an episode of Retro Encounter in which it was proven that Tetris was the greatest RPG (laughs) of all time.
0: Yeah, I can get behind you on that one. I would love if
1: there was a Tetris RPG. I think I'd do a magical (laughs)
0: drop then if I I was doing a puzzle game or puzzle bobble, nonstop puzzle bobble. If
1: I couldn't pick Tetris, I would definitely pick a game that just has unlimited replay value uh, that you can play for like mini metro for example or a game like that which has v- variations upon variations upon variations and you might get a little sick of it but at the very least it's always going to offer you a slightly new experience rather than uh like final fantasy 6 for example which i adore but i imagine after about 10 years on a desert island with only final fantasy 6 as my companion i would eventually want to throw it into the ocean like sellers. Yep. Celeste so style.
0: Oh, that was dark. <laughs> no, you're just going to grab your laptop and just load it up with the other game that you can play infinitely, which is um, Fallout 3 and all of its patches or Morrowind and all of its patches. Just try them all, good <laughs> and bad. That'll keep you busy for a good couple decades.
1: I, I Okay, I, I think you have a point there. If I was to pick a game that's not a puzzle game, it would definitely have to be a massive open world game. So at the very least, I could have the illusion of being a able to navigate a massive space
0: yeah like elder scrolls never stops giving side quests it's designed not to like you can never stop having them so that'll keep you going and it's a big world to go around yeah that'd be a fun one actually open
1: world game has to be a big happy open world too not like a followed open world because if i'm on a desert island i don't want to be exploring a post-apocalyptic nuclear wasteland
0: yeah i think i'd like like oblivion or oblivion or um uh blah, 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 dragon boy uh skyrim not dragon boy skyrim thank you because i just find those very nice to walk around in especially if you do it like before you trigger like constant dragon attacks or before you trigger constant oblivion portals opening like it's it's a very serene game to to just enjoy the environment and uh, yeah that's a great point when you're sitting there on a desert island you're like you know i'm gonna go i'm gonna go up north today (laughs) yeah but thank you for humoring me uh and the good thing is at least you know with uh, skyrim you can play it on your switch (laughs) right there yeah yeah you gotta you got everything it's on everything as well but that brings us to the end of another round of random encounter Uh, as we mentioned in the early part of the show uh is gonna be taking over for a little bit i am taking a break for you know just uh, to be frank mental health reasons i just i need a break from things i am I'm a, I'm a person who is far too busy for my own good some days and too many things have been falling through the cracks uh, for me in various ways. So I just kind of want to step back and breathe for a bit. And I've always felt that uh, pressure as the host of the show. Like I was like, I can't take a break because like what about the show? Uh, and some of that's also probably just my own ego for not just reaching out to be like, hey, somebody else host it or now Jono, right? So uh, it's it's been a, a hard call to admit that like I need to take a break and uh, this is my frankness. To anyone else out there, don't be afraid to take a break. Play a game for you. Do a thing for you. Just be chill. Breathe. It's okay. Things can get done later. And you probably have more people around
1: you willing to support you than you know. Do you want to know what, Greg? I think that I remember about a year and a half ago on the first episode of Random we did after the pandemic started. At the very end of it, you and I offered some advice to the audience about being kind to yourself and recognizing that in times like this, you can't do it all. You need to take a break and you need to be able to not just a vacation, but let go or let other people help you. And I remember we said that, and neither one of us (laughs) took our own advice for a year and a half. And at some point, I think that a lot of people are going to have to realize that they need a break. They need a vacation. They need to be able to do something to decompress. And I actually really think that you taking this time is very smart. I appreciate it. And I will I will, do a, I will hold the fort while you are gone. I'm sure you will. But seriously, uh, I think you are about to take a well-deserved vacation. Thanks, friends. And so you have a good time.
0: I plan to. Uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it. I'm sure I'll probably have more than enough other things to get busy. It's mostly just trying to get caught up with things around, like life things and recenter with that stuff. So yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe I'll get into Monster Hunter uh, Stories 1. Oh, that's a good idea. Playing a game for fun is a bit of a novelty in our line of work some days yes yeah sometimes you just want to take your time on it i'm loving the great ace attorney chronicles but at the same time in the back of my mind i'm always like (laughs) there's always something churning analyzing being like is this really working and that's the kind of way it is whenever you're podcasting about games or you're a game reviewer or whatever you're always looking for you're always analyzing the game even if you love it i have the same problem
0: as an actor and a movie maker a filmmaker that (laughs) <laughs> you sit there and you're like how did they do that shot how did that happen I wonder how casting that scene was and yep. anyways so yeah listeners thank you for your patience with that uh please be kind and loving as i know you all are with uh Jono being awesome as i know he will be on the podcast for the next two or three episodes or whatever and i will see you all uh, soon enough uh in the meantime you can uh send all the love to podcast at rpgfan.com i appreciate hearing uh things other than this I have a very insistent person that keeps following up and wants to sell me lots and lots of chairs. I don't know what's going on, but they think the podcast really needs chairs. Wait,
1: you've been offered chairs? I've been sitting on the floor for every episode I've done of this damn podcast since I've started, and this guy's been offering you chairs. He could have a hundred
0: folding chairs in your apartment for seventeen ninety-nine
1: or whatever. I don't know. Oh, sc- no, forget it. I'm we're changing things. Well, you're gone. I'm buying some chairs. <laughs> God darn it, dipping into the kitty. Uh,
0: but yes, uh, we'll get you chairs if that's the case, and. uh in the meantime, uh, you can check out episodes of Random Encounter, of course, but uh, we also have Rhythm Encounter back so with a new episode, and um, I think there's a big, good backlog now ready to go uh, that you've been helping get edited and out the door, so that should be coming up shortly as well. You have tons of Retro Encounter to go uh, listen to, especially uh, as we talked about the uh GOAT episode of uh defining Tetris as an RPG.
1: They just released some bangers too. They released a uh it's a two-parter episode. It is yeah. the Essential Ten, which is a sequel to yeah. episodes that
3: came out five years ago back when Josh was still hosting. So yeah. Um they're very long. <laughs> um You're on it, right? <laughs> I am. <laughs> Uh, we have some discussions sometimes,
1: you know.
0: Yeah, that'd be a hard list to compile. I'm not going to lie. I mean, look how hard it was to figure out a Desert Island game.
1: I haven't finished the second episode yet, but it's a banger. Nice. So go
0: check that out. And then, uh, yeah, Robin Hatterback, I think they had a bit of a hiatus too, but they've been churning out episodes of the Phoenix Edge podcast, the Phoenix Edge podcast as well. So uh, you can keep up to current news and exciting things. And uh, otherwise, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, John, as always, thank you for being a gracious, wonderful co-host with me and keeping it going my pleasure zach again great job on your team and thank you very much for coming on and sharing your thoughts you are well spoken and i like having you around thanks i had a good time and Corey it is so nice having you on the podcast for the first time you're great and please come back and do more with us
2: thanks i'd love to come back
0: thank you very much everyone for listening and uh until the next episode i'm on you take care and uh enjoy listening to the dulcet tones of jano and the gang on the next episode cheers bye everyone